Hi, I'm Pastor Daniel, and welcome to Edge Church Podcast. To get connected, visit our website, edgechurch.co.za, or send us a WhatsApp on 076-032-3664. Say hi, and we will connect with you. Our full services can be found on our YouTube channel, but enjoy listening to the sermon. And I want to encourage us to stay in this atmosphere, but you can grab your seat. And I'm going to go straight into, into God's Word and the journey that we've been on this past three weeks. You can grab your seat. This journey that we've been on the last three weeks of habits. We've been speaking about this very thing about we are what we repeatedly do. Aristotle said this. You and I all have habits, whether good or bad. Habits that we try to hide, habits that we are proud of. But we all have habits. And the very, the very heart and the thesis of, the, of this sermon, of the series that we've been in, is been unpacking that I know for me, and I'm praying for you, that there's a desire to say, I, this year I want, to, I want it to be a bit different. I, I, I want to be different. I want to change. I, I don't want things just to say the same. But let me, let me say this. We can have all the hopes, desires, inspiration, aspiration in the whole world. And those are great. They get us started. But there's something that needs to sustain those things. And that's what we're speaking about. This, this very thing, habits, but that comes from the inside out. The anchor verse, Romans 12 verse 2. Fix your attention on God. We, we're looking to Him. This is about habits that we say, God, this has to come from you to change what's inside of me. Fix your attention on Him. And he'll change you from the inside out. Ready, recognizing that he wants you. Quick to respond to it. Unlike the culture around you. Always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Because God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. And so week one, we started with focus on what you do first. Focus in. And this was about the principle of the first. Week two, we spoke about focus on who you put first. And we started unpacking this thing of relationships. And today, as I end and conclude our series, I want to end by speaking about this habit, focus on who we see first. Focus on who we see first. You see, because today's habit and what I want to share about, it's about a choice. And this is key. There's a choice. And the reason why I say there's a choice because in fr- every single one of us having presented a choice that God goes, I put a choice in front of you. That we can choose and this is it. We all have a choice on how we see God or how we believe God sees us. There's a choice that you and I have to say, how do I believe God sees me? And how do I see God? Because this choice might not be as clear in your mind as what you think it is. Even theologically, if you're unpacking this and you go, but can I tell you something? This choice, if we choose the wrong choice on how we see God or how we believe God, can change so much of this very freedom and design that God had placed for us all along. You see, because your way that you will see God will define and shape your approach to Him. It will, it will define what you believe the relationship should look like. And that's why I said it's not, it's not so easy to just 
see this. Because what I want to talk about today is that I believe there's two branches, two branches of Christianity that we can so easily get trapped in one of them. Literally two ways that we can see God and how we believe God sees us. And some of you would have heard the story, and I have shared it before. But I was again reminded of this, and, and the story continues because of the journey that I've been with this person now. But last year, I think we were entering into like a third wave, or like a tenth, I don't know. We were entering into one of them. And, and I was connected with this friend, and not like we message regularly or anything like that, but it's like, cool, when we see, nice chat. And they began to ask me this question. They said, now that we're going into this another wave, et cetera, et cetera, do, do you think it's going to get better? Do you think things are going to get better? Like, is this, like, is this some of the things that we read about all these, and I've been watching this YouTube video about the end times and this and that, and I was like, oh my gosh, this conversation is going to go about end times now. And, and he asked me this question. He's like, will it get better? And so now I was trying to process, I'm thinking to myself, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to this? And, and I know the journey the person's on. They're, they're not a believer. I, I believe that they're searching for something. And so they're open to a spirituality. But Christianity is not what they're following. And so, and so now I'm thinking, how do I respond? How do I like, not go into the whole conversation about end times and all of this stuff? Because and let me give you a word of advice. That shouldn't be your starting point when you go into a conversation with someone who's trying to search and wrestle with this thing about God. We must talk about it, but not at the starting point. And so I, I like, sort of responded and I said, well, honestly, I don't know if things are going to get better. I, I don't know if this is now the end times or, or one thing I do know is that no one knows when it will be but also that I need to be ready I need to be ready for when he comes and when he comes God is gonna heal all the damage that we as humans have caused the next response I didn't expect him to say this he said to me yeah you're right and he needs to heal, especially the Christians, because I don't like Christians and I don't like the church. I'm thinking, shit, but I should have gone for the end times conversation instead of going this way. <laughs> and I was like, you okay. And he's like, I don't like Christians or the church because of the way I've been treated. The way that I feel like I'm not accepted because of some of the decisions that I've made in my life. And if I think that that's how Christians can do that, then I can't imagine how God would treat me or accept me. My response to the person was, I also don't like Christians and churches that treat you like that. And in that process, we started to go and unpack other things. And I'll never forget, I still, it was still when we were doing online recording for services, I still rushed into here and I had to film. I was standing there in the auditorium having to film. And this conversation is just flooding through my mind about the way this friend sees God or the way that God has been portrayed to them. And our conversations have, have gone, and once a month we have these conversations. They go, sometimes it's light, sometimes it's heavy, but there's something, and they still haven't stepped into the foot of a church, but I'm believing God is doing something. I truly believe that God is starting to do something, and this is why I say there's two brands, because I, I actually believe that at times, and dare I say, Christianity has a branding problem. 
And when I say a branding problem, it's the way that it's seen, promoted, or even displayed. That's what branding is. And that there's actually a branding problem that's taken place because of these two approaches that I'm going to speak about today. That one approach has been taken, and, and you mean, I'm not talking about an approach of this denomination or that kind of church. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our view, the way we see God, whether we see God the way He called it or we see the way that the world has taught us to see God. And that's what I believe happened to this friend of mine has fallen into this branch of viewing God and the church, other Christians, in a way that's the wrong branding. And so that's why I want to ask you this question. And I'm sure many of us can think of situations like this, being in your own. A comment that people say, oh, Christians are the worst. Pastors' kids are even worse than the normal Christians. Conversations we see when it's when we see there's like a scandal that happens in the church, and how often do you hear people say, Yeah, you see, that's why. This is why I don't believe in Christianity, it's a big scam. I'm sure many of us can think of those kind of comments that have been made, or maybe even some of the things that we've thought ourselves. But I want to ask us this question. I want you to reflect on it. I want you to write it down so that this week you can process this. Start thinking about this as, as it sits inside of you. And the question is, how do you see God? What view do you have? What image comes to mind? And the following question is, how do you believe God sees you? If he had to sit across the table from you, what words do you think he would say about you? That will determine a lot of what you see of him. How do you see God, and how do you believe God sees you? And this is why I'm speaking about this habit. We need to focus on who we see first. Because the way we see God will ultimately shape the way we approach Him. The way we see God and we believe how God sees us will define so much of this journey that we're called to go on. Because just like this friend of mine who, who's wrestling with this view of how they're seen, they're searching. He's constantly searching for something and, and you can hear it in the conversation and this thing and then I'm trying that and then that thing and then I'm doing this and I can hear it in the conversation. And that's why I shared last week that the quote St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Meaning we were created to be in relationship with him. And whether you're an atheist or not, there's something that we still are searching for. And I think sometimes there's been a branding problem that's come with this very thing which is called Christianity and our relationship with God. And today I want to speak about it and I want to look at that and I want to do this by looking at the context of what Scripture says three-story in Genesis that, that starts to unpack this very thing. And, and this is, comes out of the, of the freedom course. I spoke about this last week that I want to encourage you. This is the foundation of where we, we do the teaching from. And God really, last week, I, there was that sense of I was going a completely different direction in, in, for a sermon. And there was like, no. We need to focus on our priority of God first. We need to focus on our relationship. And the most important one out of that was about deepening our relationship. And now that we deepen it, we actually need to know how God sees us. 
and also define how we see God. And so that's the journey that we're going to go on in unpacking this. The three stories in Genesis 1, we read the story and the first story is about creation and I believe it's the first story about our lives. How we were created and we see this in scripture, how creation it took place. But then the second story of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 is also the second story of our lives. And the second story in chapter 2 starts to speak about choices. How you and I, there was a choice that took place. There was a, there was a picture, and we're going to see this in the story, about how there was a choice that was made in the garden. Okay, let me tell you something. We were made of the choice because he didn't want just those little cookie cutters, little remote controls. He wants us to have a choice to love him. Because that's what true love is. When you choose to love someone. And so we see this in Genesis 2 about the story. And this is where we start to read about a story of two trees. There are two trees that I'm going to speak about in this story. About how we either can live in the one tree or we can live in the other tree. And we see it in Genesis 2, it'll appear on the screen, 8 to 9. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in the Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was number one, the tree of life. And then the second one, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is where we read about the story of these two trees. Now, I believe there were actual tropical, proper physical trees. I need to say tropical trees. Maybe they were. I don't know. It was prophetic. But I, I, there, were, there were proper trees that were in the garden standing there that Adam and Eve had a choice when it came to this. And this is often where our, our, our theology can get a little mixed up when it comes to this. Because I know for many, we, we maybe have grown up, seen the story as a, there was the one tree was the sin tree, you know, with the apples on. And then the second tree was the God tree. Okay, let's clarify one thing. No way does it talk about apples. <laughs> that image that we have of Eve hiding, covering with an apple half bitten and everything like that, doesn't actually say that it was an apple tree. But actually, there wasn't a God tree and then just a sin tree. And we're going to start to unpack this so we can see this a little bit more. What we do know for sure is that there were two trees. One was called the tree of life. And the second tree was called the, the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that there was a choice that we could live out of either one of these trees. And when we made certain choices, notice, choices, there's a choice that we make in this relationship with God. There will be different outcomes in the outworking of this. And so we continue to read now in Genesis 2, verse 16 to 7. It says, And then the Lord commanded the man, we're talking about the two trees, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Notice, you're free to eat. There's a choice that you can make. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And this is it. This is key. That if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Not, not, not like a physical death, but there will be a spiritual death that will take place. Where some of the words that start coming out of our mouth are going, yeah, I don't like Christians. I don't like the church. I just do this because I have to do it. It's just a duty. 
my response is I'm just ticking boxes on this journey. And now we go. So we have story one by creation, story two by choices in the two trees. And now we get to chapter three. And this is the story about when the enemy enters. And this is also chapter three of our lives. Because the enemy will always desire to stop you to do what God originally designed. It'll always be there in our lives. And listen to what happened now in chapter three. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord had made, said to the woman, did God really say? Did he really say? Now I want you to notice something here. This is exactly what the enemy will do to you. He will come and he will put a doubt in your mind and say, did he really say that you mustn't do that with that person? Did he really say that that was okay? Or oh, just don't worry about it. And that's what the servant did. Did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then the woman said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, you will certainly not die, said the serpent, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and take note of this, it says that you'll be more like God, knowing good and evil. Look at this. Take a note when you read this when you read this portion of scripture. Take note. The serpent didn't come and try and appeal to Eve's sinful side of her life. Didn't try and come and say, Come, Eve, be a bad girl, just let loose, just do whatever you want, go do what it, it wasn't appealing to that, not to her sinful side. It was appealing to the side of her saying, But don't you want to be in control? Don't you want to know what's even better? You don't need God. You can make the choices because you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wasn't appealing to the sinful side and saying, go, be a bad girl, do all this stuff. Appealing to her, and I think this is where a lot of us also get caught up and we, and we, and we miss this part. And why we can fall into this trap of saying, well, I don't really need God. Oh, I need God when it's really bad in my life. That's when I really need God. But otherwise, when things are fine, uh, okay, cool. It's just a token on my shelf. And then the woman says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That's why men always finish women's food afterwards. But then look what happens next. And this is what happens every single time we eat from the tree of good and evil. Listen to what it says in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Their eyes were opened. All of a sudden there was this realization, there was this, this awakening of going, you know, there was this loss of innocence. Because up until this point, they didn't even know that they were naked. And now all of a sudden, like when a child loses their innocence of what was just so pure and what like only a child can do, they lose it and they realize they were naked. 
They were ashamed. They were embarrassed of what was happening because their innocence was taken in that very moment. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And so I want to share about these two trees and then there's a choice in the middle that we get to make out of which tree we will live out of. You see, because number one, if we are living in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it will mean we need to do more to get to God. It's always about more, more, more. It's about I need to do more. I need to make sure I do more. And this is where religion really comes into play in this place. Like uh, only five minutes reading the word. Only five minutes in prayer. No, that, that's not good enough. You need long. You need to do an all-nighter. You need to come into this building and pray the whole night through if you're really desperate. Oh, I need to do more. I need, I need to try and serve more. I need to try and give more. I need to do, 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 do. Because when I do more, it'll mean that I'm maybe loved more by God. I, I'm accepted by Him because, because I know how dark and sinful my nature is. I can't tell anyone else. So I'll just make sure I tick these boxes and I do more and more and more and more in my relationship. But then the tree of life says... Receive what Jesus has already done for you. You don't need to do any more. You can just receive what he has done for you. That he has paid it all. Everything has been paid for you and I. And sometimes we get into this pursuit and that's why I believe some of the meanest and most judgmental people are actually Christians. Pointing fingers. Because we're in this tree of knowledge of good and evil and of, I know this and I know that. But in actual fact, we point these fingers and can I tell you, it's been, we've received it all. We can take it. And this is why Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 5, verse 39, you study the scriptures, you know it. You're in your Bible, you're reading all these things, you know the knowledge, it's here. All of it's sitting here. You know when to put your hand up and if it's a really good part in the chorus, you put both hands up. You know how to do this. You know what to say in life group. You know how to tick the boxes. How are you doing? I'm good, brother. You study this diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. In verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me. You have it all year but you refuse to come to me here in your heart. The tree of life says, how do you see God? It's about doing more or actually about just receiving what he's already done for you and I. Second thing, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, imagine that's here. It says you need to try and get God's approval. You need to do more. You need to try this, try do that to get God's approval because your view, you view God as just an old, angry man that's sitting on this big throne with this big beard and he's got these lightning bolts in his hand and he says, smite you, mighty smite, and he just threw down on that. And that's our view. We view him as just nasty. It's old, irrelevant. Why, why must I connect? And so then we constantly are trying to have this approval. Let me just say this. The way you view God will determine your approach to him. Meaning it will define how you come to him. How you experience your relationship with him. 
And I believe that's exactly what was happening in that conversation with that friend that I have. Their view of God is that God can never love me. The choices and the decisions I have made, I will never be approved by him. If the church and Christians can do that, how will God be able to accept me for who I am? I've heard it. Ask Joe, we've had people here when we do funerals. They literally say, I'm scared that I will burn when I walk into the church. It's the view of God that they have. But then the tree of life says, receive God's love for me. Receive his love for me. It's not about doing this and doing that and trying to get the approval. Let me tell you something. God knows your sin life more than anyone else. He knows exactly what you're looking on your phone. He knows what's happening behind that closed door. He knows exactly what's going on inside of your head. And you know what? He knows it the most. And he's one that will always love you. The tree of life, you, 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 you're in the tree of life, you get to receive that love that he has for you, knowing that he knows all about the junk that you have in your life. He knows all about this. He's a kind of, if, I literally have said this so many times, but how do we relate it? If he had social media, you'd be the profile picture. If he had like Instagram, he would literally do a daily post about you. Man, crush Monday and woman wins, whatever you talk those things. It'll be you all the time. Unlock your phone. It'll be a picture of you on his phone. Because he loves you, please hear me. The very heart of this message is, is what is going to be your view of God and how do you believe God views you because of the way we view God will define the way we approach our relationship with him. The way in which we can go deeper because we're not held back because, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, or God's going to do not accept this. And we, the way you view God. That's why in Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us. And this is the most important while we were still sinners. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Listen to me. That means that when they laid Jesus on the cross, when they were about to lift those nails that were going to go into his head, he didn't say, wait, stop, 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 stop. I just want to make sure that when I go through this, there'll be someone that actually loves me afterwards. No. No. While they were spitting, beating, mocking him, he went through all of that. Why? He says, because I will always love my people. Please hear me. I'm praying this will be a revelation. Whether you've been on this journey for 25 years, whether you've just been introduced to that, that we would hear this message of the love of God for you and I. The third thing of the tree of knowledge of good and evil says, it will focus on the external. It's about how things look, how to do things, how to lift your hands, how to answer that check-in so well, how to say this response, how to do that. It's always about the external. It's always focusing on the outward and actually not what's really going on inwardly. But then the tree of life comes and it says it focuses on the eternal, 
internal side of you and I. The very heart of this series of habits from the inside out. The very, the, the very thesis of what we base the series is about is that there's something that needs to happen inside of us. You see, that's a big difference between the Old and the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, they, they didn't have anything in them. The laws were written, it was external, it was written on tablets, on stones. Then the New Testament came and it says, no, it's actually not what's written, it's what's inside of your heart. I will lead you and you will still obey my commands, but I'm inside of you. It's about an inside transformational journey that takes place. It's this heart change. It's a heart change. It, it's not about do this, stop that, and we just see the Bible's one big rule book. Literally, open it and it's like, scroll down. All these rules I need to follow. There's commands we need to follow, and I'm going to get to that. We're not just like, yes, throw the Bible away. We just live however we want. I'm not saying that. Please don't sit and if that's of you that you're thinking, I'm just going on, oh, this is just pure grace that I'm throwing on everything. You're missing what I'm trying to say. The tree of life says, what's going on inside? Because if you can change what's happening here internally, it will compel you to change the things on the outside. Follow my commands to be able to live the way that he's called us. And that's why 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. You see, because people look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. The very heart of our series, habits from the inside out. The last one is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. This side, it says you obey out of duty. This rule book, all these rules. You obey me because I had a duty. Like I, like I, don't, I don't want to go to hell. Just put it this way. I'm doing this so I can just scrape into heaven and just moon miss Oh, a little bit. Even though I've got a burnt bum, I'm going to just miss it. So I will do this to please my wife. I will do this because, you know, I'm in this relationship and I need to do this. I will do it because it's a duty. I'll do this because I know this is what my granny wanted of us to do. Or I'm just doing this. I don't know. I've just been in this for so long. I don't know how to change it. And then we're operating out of duty I'm in this because this is what I do. And my whole Christian walk, my whole journey becomes about, let me tick this, let me do that. Okay, we go to life group on a Tuesday, then we do this and we do that. God's nowhere really in the mix, not inside of our heart. We're going through this, I'll serve on a team. I'll do this because it's a duty, because this person's going to message again on our team to say, hello, can anyone help? But I'll ghost them, but we'll continue messaging. Can anyone help? And then it's like, okay, I'll do it because it's just a duty that I must do. And our whole walk becomes based on, it's a duty and it's actually not what God calls us when we live in the tree of life. We don't serve out of duty. We serve out of delight. The tree of life says that we, we out of delight, we get to serve God, meaning we get to come and we get to worship Him, to express our thanks as giving to Him, be able to use the very giftings that He's given you and I to build His kingdom. And it's not because I just have to do it because, you know, they did this big sign up, you must do this and this and this. It's actually because it's delight. Can I tell you, when I think of my life, 
think of the mistakes that I have made and I think of how, I think, God, how can you use me? And so I don't serve because it's a duty that I need to do this because actually it's a delight to be able to bring the very things that you have placed, the passions inside of me and to be able to come into a place and serve. Can I tell you, it makes a world of a difference. And can I tell you, you can actually see when people are serving God out of delight or versus this is just a duty. You can see it within teams. You can see it within life groups. You can see when, sure, they're doing this because they've got the delight and the joy of the Lord inside of them. And it's about coming to that place and saying, God, thank you. Thank you. So when we get the thing, I was like, hey, we on and here's the schedule. I was like, oh, I'm on again. And oh, they're doing praying fasting again. Why do they have to keep doing this? Because it's just a duty that we're ticking. We're called to be in this place out of delight. And it's a delight because of all that he's done for us. And this very Tuesday, we're going to unpack that more in our welcome home dinner. And I want to encourage you. New Christianity, new to the church, where you're just interested in saying, I need you to do something next. You join us at this welcome home dinner so we can go on this journey. 1 John 5, 3, it says, in fact, this is the love for God, is to keep his commands. And can I tell you, and this is why I say it, I'm not just saying that we get we don't obey his commands and it's just, no, 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 this is done and just scrap that, don't worry about this. Oh, it says in the Bible, no, no, Daniel didn't say that. Just don't. I'm not saying that. Listen to what it says. In fact, this is the love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not taxing. You see, because when you're in the right tree and it's the deepened relationship, it will lead you to the artwork, you know, going, you know what, I don't want to live a lifestyle like that. I want to obey what God, God said in this area. I'm going to be faithful to my partner. I'm going to do this. The feelings might not be there, but can I tell you, make the choice and the feelings eventually follow. So how do we either move from this tree of knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life? How do we do it? You see, because every Sunday, I don't want us just to hear great inspiration. Thanks for the inspirational message. Charged up for the next three hours. And then we go into our week and we're like, how do I apply this? How do we stay living in this, this very place, this habit that we believe God is calling us, this well-formed maturity that's deep within us? 1 John 2 verse 20 says, stay close with me and go deep. How do we do that? Three things I want to leave with us. Stay in the tree of life. I want to encourage you. You need to respond to sin with grace. What do I mean? The reality is you and I will all sin. If you think you don't, you're sinning right now because that's a lie. You and I will all sin. And I want to encourage you. When you're living in the tree of life, our response to when we have sinned or where others have sinned would respond out of the place of grace because of God's grace for you and I and it's out of that response of God's grace because when something happens do we point fingers accusing do we point fingers at ourselves and go there's no ways that I could be loved there's no ways I could do there's no ways 
John 3, 17, it says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son to do all of that. Go to the cross, the pain, the spitting, the mocking, the torture. He didn't go through all of that to just come and point an accusing finger at everyone. We all know what that's like when your mom points a finger at you and she talks. Telling the world how bad it is and this is wrong, but instead, he said he came and he, he put on flesh and he moved into our neighborhood to help us. It's the grace. You see, how you respond to sin will really define where you are in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is a tree of life. There's consequences for sin. There's truth and grace. But ask, think about that question again. How do you see God? And how do you believe God sees you? second thing is you need to guard your heart to stay in the tree of life you need to guard your heart from condemnation I'm guarding my heart I'm saying God I'm not going to go back to this place I'm not going to swing back into the tree of knowledge of good and evil where yes I have all the inspiration right now in this moment I have all the hopes and desires that I'm going I'm to have this deepened intimate relationship with you and then I don't guard my heart and I go back to where it's all about knowledge and ticking the duty and it's just about that and it's not about a delight anymore and I've lost all of that. We have to guard our heart. I've said this, between these two trees is this perfect vine that Tarzan, you can swing right back into it and then you can swing right back into the tree of life again. And can I tell you on this journey, of discipleship all of us swing between that tree and then we go into that one that's why I said what is your response going to be to sin even you need to guard our heart why do we guard our heart 1 John 5 verse 12 for he who has son has life and he does not have the Son of God, does not have life. You see, the tree of life is literally that. It gives you life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll be able to know everything. But are you ex- truly experiencing life, freedom, the way that God has designed you to be in relationship with Him? The last thing that keeps you in the tree of life, what can you do? to stay there number three fall in love with Jesus fall in love with him if you've been around here then you're like Daniel been here way longer double triple the time that you've been here I've seen this I've done it I've gone through everything or whether it's your first time Fall in love with Jesus. You see this, this is a great God, but actually he says, and he is this great God, we'll never understand all the things he does and the power and the mighty and the strength that he has. But in the same breath, there's this imminence that he says, I want to be with you. Your best friend. So when you're going through the greatest moments of your life, I'm with you. When you're going through the hardest times of your life, I am with you. 
out of the relationship. It's about being in love with Jesus. How do you do that? Stop thinking about necessarily the organization or the institution. Don't, don't think about that. See him as a person. Jesus. See him as a person. And when you see him as a person, in terms of someone who, who, who's there, my closest friend, my savior, my father, we'll fall in love with him. John 14 verse 15 says, I'm going to ask us to just keep the slide up. It says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You know, when we, we read this verse, it's, for some of us, it's easy to read it without that comma. And we read it, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You'll prove it to me. You will prove your love for me when you do this, that, this, do more, out of duty. But there's a comma. If you love me, comma, you obey my commandments. And the question I want to ask you, what side of the comma are you? You see, we're still called to obey his commandments. There's still a way that he's called us to live citizens of his kingdom citizens of his kingdoms mean there's still things we need to do and follow and but if we only view it as with no comment you love me you obey my commands but actually says if you love me you will want to naturally obey what I've asked you to do you will actually say you know what I don't want to respond to sin like this anymore I don't, I don't want to live this kind of lifestyle I don't want to always be negative and it's just always about the things that I know but truly truly my heart is so cold. We still follow His commands and that's why 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, for Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. Because of His love, we're compelled to follow the very commands that He set out. The Word of God gives us those commands. So as I close today, I want to ask this question again to you. How do you see God? And how do you believe God sees you? And so in this moment, I'm going to encourage you to put everything down. Notes, phones, because we've got space in our service. We want to intentionally create this moment for you just to be in His presence. Don't worry about what needs to happen next and this and that. Right now. I don't know for me to help myself focus, avoid the distractions. I'll close my eyes. I encourage you, just in this moment, to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you this question How do you believe God sees you right now? Imagine you're at a table and he's sitting across from you. 
what do you think the words he would say about you? understands and God loves you with an enormous love and he only wants to look upon you with that line of love so quiet still be and let your God love you God's spirit moves and I believe he is working and I pray that there are hearts that are opened and they're receiving I encourage you as the team sings a song over us you do business with God you respond to him I spoke about this choice it's a choice so if it's out of this place of saying God I've been in the tree of knowledge and good and evil for way too long so right now I'm responding to come to you God I don't believe that I'm loved because of I've done this and I've done that respond to the invitation of grace God my heart is so cold all of this, I'm checking this, I don't know if I believe all of this stuff is going. Surrender to Him and allow God to do what only He can do. My prayer is that you would run to God. My prayer for each one of us we would run to you. And whatever God has spoken to you, the loving God who came, whatever he's, the words that he's prompted inside of your heart, you know what it is. Whether it's to fall in love with him again, whether it's the words of saying, I need you guard my heart because I so easily go back into this. God, I need you to help me because I just really truly don't believe you can forgive me of this very thing. God, you have spoken 
and I believe your spirit's moving, these hearts that are softened. And my prayer is that this, this moment would extend into our tomorrows, our Tuesdays, our every day as we deepen our relationship with you. You call us to say, will you have a well-formed maturity? Will you go deep? Will you stay close to me? So whatever the commitment, whatever the, the business we've done in this room, between you and God, I pray we would hold on to that decision and say, God, this is what I've said. I'm not just going to live on inspiration and hope that this and desires, but actually make a habit to focus on who you are and how I see you, the God of love. I can never stop loving me. And in this moment of prayer, maybe you're in this space and, and as I was speaking and I was speaking about this, run to the Father and you're realizing I'm so far from Jesus. First, I maybe never made a decision to follow Him or I have, but actually, honestly, it's just been about knowledge. Today He says, come come, receive the love that I have for you, receive it are you saying that's me, I find myself in that place Dan will you pray for me, all eyes are closed this is a private moment, saying I need prayer in this area, just lift your hand up, you're saying I need to come back to Jesus lift it up, and you, amen amen, you can put it down say this prayer with me Jesus today I choose to follow you I'm coming back to you, the loving arms of my Father. I, I run to you. I'm so aware of my sin. I'm so aware of the things that I've done. But in, I know and I ask your forgiveness. And so I turn to you. I admit all the things I've done. But I turn to you and say, I confess that I need you in my life. And now you say those words. Say personally, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I run to you. Whatever it is, say the words. Your prayer to him in this moment. So for decisions that were made, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help and guide and keep them in these decisions that they were made. Thank you for your loving arms of grace and that you love us unconditionally. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. God bless.